morning, Sterling. It is such a privilege to be with you this morning, and um, we have such affection for you as a church and for your elders. Um, you would have such, ex- such um, what's the word I'm looking for, respect for your elders if you saw them lip-syncing a few weeks or months ago at Haga. I have a newfound respect for them all. Um, but where's Matt, John- Matt Johnson's calling sick today? Can you believe it? I'm not sure what sign that is to me, but I'll miss my friend. Um, that just love from every day our elders are sending their love um, towards you. We pray for you as well, as a church, as our partners in the city. Um, yeah, and we are just so grateful for our partnership and our friendship, and we trust that God will continue to use us in a significant way to, like um, Mark, what you said about the gospel in this city. Can we get the gospel deep root, deeply rooted into um, our city of East London? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to turn to the, our scriptures. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your church gathered. Thank you for your church as a picture to the world of hope, um, of your love and your grace bestowed on a people. Thank you that you are forming a people, that your work is shaping us, and we come to your word now asking that you would shape us personally and as a church through your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So, connecting the dots. This morning we're going to continue in your series on Mark, um, and Matthew gave me a large chunk of scripture and I'm not sure why. Maybe you thought, I need a lot to find something good in it, or oh, no, you need all the help you can get. Um, I remember one of my uh, young preachers once, um, Brad Taylor, Taylor, that many of you might know, his first ever preach in any church, I gave him one verse to preach from. I said, that's yours, Brad, make it happen. And he did. He did really well. But I've got 26 verses, so if you turn to Mark um, chapter 8, we're going to read 26 verses together. Um, connecting the dots, this is Jesus with his disciples. Um, and with the, we're going to tuck back a bit. Um, it's very hard to jump into a series and not try and connect with where we come from. So this morning, I'm going to refer a little bit back to Mark and the story and catch us up. But before we start, I'm going to ask you a quick question, and we're going to get back to it later. In the, where were you? Who were you with? What were you doing? And what, w- what were your feelings when the news of 9-11 broke? Where were you? Who were you with? What were you busy doing, and what feelings did you experience when 9-11? Are you all old enough for... It's 20 years ago. <laughs> Some of you are looking at me. I was going to ask, where were you when the, the box won the first World Cup in 995, but I wasn't sure about the age gap here. But where were you, who were you with, what were you doing, and what did you feel when the news... Take a second quickly, and just, quiet, just remember quickly. We're going to get back to it later, and you'll see why I've asked that question. But let's go to Mark chapter 8 together. In those days, when again a crowd gathered, had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have, not been, or they have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on their way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed for these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, it's amazing, just quickly, with what he had, he gave thanks to God for what he had in his hands. It's a little lesson for us there from Jesus. And giving thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples and set before the people. And they set before the crowd, verse 7, and they had a, they had a few small fish, and he blessed them, and they said to them, said to these also, set them before them. And they ate and were satisfied. Amazing. And they took up the, the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Can anyone remember 
How many baskets they filled a few chapters ago? Well done, Sterling. Wow. Just, I'm just gauging where you guys are at. <laughs> and there were about 4,000 people. How many did they feed in, the, in a few chapters earlier? Um, well done, guys. Just Your elders should be so encouraged by that. <laughs> if I had a naughty badge, I'd give you one. And immediately he got to the boat and his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanata. And the Pharisees came and began. Another version says the Pharisees were waiting on him, like literally almost ambushing Jesus here, and began to argue with him. It's crazy, hey? Like he's just done this and the Pharisees are waiting and the first thing they want to do is argue with Jesus, seeking him for a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply. The Greek word for this kind of sighing is load shedding. You've just, you've just sighed like Jesus. It's exactly the same sigh Jesus had. When you hear the word load shedding, you, you know, you just experienced what Jesus experienced. I just thought I'd help. But the sigh is like, a, it's an agony, it's exhaustion, it's exasperated. How did these guys not get it? In his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Verse 13. And he left them. It's crazy that any left them, that even Jesus got weary and tired and walked away from religious arguments. There's something for us to learn maybe there. Got into the boat again and, and went to the other side. Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, these disciples, these geniuses. And they had, they had only one loaf with them in the boat. I don't know, the Bible is quite funny sometimes. Jesus had just fed 9,000 people in a matter of 10 days, 2 weeks. They get into a boat with one loaf. These are his disciples. You, but he picked them. Jesus picked these guys. Can I just put it out there? He picked them. He can't go, hey, who did I pick? And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. We'll get to that later. And they, be, they began discussing with one another the fact that they only had bread or no bread. The only thing, he just warned them about something and they're going, what are we having for lunch? It's like, you can have all the discussions in the world and the disciples choose to say, what are we having for lunch? Jesus has warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod and they worry about what sandwiches they're going to make or not having enough bread in the boat. And Jesus, aware of his touch, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? The word remember, we're we going to get back to memory just now. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets did we, did we take up? And Sterling answered, 12. And the, the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? And they answered, 7. And he said to them, do you yet not understand? Can you see Jesus is doing his best to co connect the dots for his disciples. It's like, have you ever, did you grow up doing those um, um, coloring by, by, by numbers? where a certain number, everything's black, a certain number, everything's blue, and then you get those uh, puzzles that you sit with kids, like two, three-year-olds, and you, you connect the dots, and every dot's got a number, and then you, without you even knowing, you drew a beautiful horse or a pony. Um, and Jesus is literally trying to do that for his disciples. He's like creating this picture, and they're just not sticking with him. And then we end this passage, and this is very important. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he said, and when he had, had spit, spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they looked like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. 
reminds you of that song. I can see clearly now. The Lord has touched my eyes. Um, and he sent him out on his way home, saying, do not enter the village. Let's pray and thank God for his word and then open our hearts to this. Jesus, thank you for your word. We love your scriptures. Thank you for the honesty in it. <laughs> thank you that we can connect with it. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come and quicken and make this word alive to us. For me personally, for us as a church, in Jesus' name. Amen. So just setting the scene quickly. So geographically, it matters. And there's a reason that your Bibles have maps in the back of them. They're not just there because you get bored of reading when you look at some pictures. They're actually there to show you what Jesus was doing and understanding the history of what was happening. And what you happen is a few chapters earlier in the Jewish region, where Tyre and Sidon, where Jesus fed the 5,000, the crowd of the, the 5,000 were the, the Jewish kind of community that he fed there. Now we're in, a, in Decapolis, it's, a, it's the Greek, it's the Gentile region that Jesus is now feeding the 4,000. Why do you think Mark, the writer, included two stories of healing in this, in this passage, in, this, in his book? Some argue that Mark was one of the disciples, wasn't one of the brightest guys, and he had two recollections. His memory wasn't good. He couldn't remember the one and the details, and he just decided to tell them again, and it changed. The, the city changed, the numbers changed, what they fed and what Jesus did all changed. But that's actually not, the, it's not a valid argument. Mark knew exactly what he was doing here. But the same miracle happened twice in the gospel. And then chapter 6, 5,000, five loaves, two fish. We know that story. Jesus stirred the crowd, and um, his comment to the crowd was, remember in chapter 6, um, I'm not sure who preached it yet, but the question was, they are sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd. Yeah, in chapter 8, we read the 4,007 loaves, and, and yeah, the compassion is stirred because people are starving and they'll faint if they have no food. But I'm just giving you the, the, the kind of where we come from in the story. So the disciples are with Jesus, and we're going to look at what, who Jesus is through these stories, and then we're going to look, I want to zero in a bit on the disciples this morning. It feels like this whole story leads to the disciples, that confrontation or that con con that conversation in the boat. So the first thing we see about Jesus is just Jesus is compassionate. You and I need reminding that Jesus, his heart is soft towards us. He's soft towards the crowd. He's soft towards the Jewish crowd in, in, in chapter 6. And verse 2, it says this, And I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. This is beautiful. This is the feeding of a feeding miracle. This is God taking, Jesus taking out of nothing and producing and satisfying the crowd. He cared that they were sheep without a shepherd earlier on in, in, in Mark chapter 6. Now he cares because they don't have food. Two very, very contrasting motives or reasons for intervening or feeding. Can you see the two diff different ones? We're living in a, in a, in a more and more polarized world, aren't we? Like, we like being in what camp are you? What side are you on the fence? We're living in a world that loves drawing the kind of the line in the sand saying, which side are you on? I'm not going to go to Vax or Novax or I'm not going there. But we're living in a polarized world and the, some of the camps that the church often falls into is spiritual and social justice. Like, like um, does Jesus care about your spirit as much as he cares about your physical well-being or which one is more important to Jesus and the church, etc. We've seen many churches. I've got some some really good friends in the States with, with some of the, these arguments, splitting churches in half, going, we think we call to this, or we call to, to that. And what we see here in these two incredible miracles, and these feeding miracles, is the one compassion, is a spiritual one, is these religious Jews do not have a shepherd, and I want to care for their spiritual need of shepherding. I want to be a shepherd to them. And then later with the Gentile crowd, Jesus is, 
is, is broken or his heart's stirred because of their physical need. They need food. They just need a sandwich. <laughs> it's, it, it looks radically different, and they are radically different. And Jesus is compassionate, and his compassion goes to my spiritual need, and he's just as compassionate about my physical needs. He was just as compassionate towards Mark and Meg's and, and, and old Joshua's physical healing as he was about their spiritual journey. He was committed to both. And as a church, I want to encourage us as a church and as a people, we can have both. It can be both and. We can be radical and saying, what can we do in social justice causes or biblical justice causes, I like to call it. What, how do we help the needs of people? And how do we preach the gospel clearly? And in Jesus, we see this beautiful bringing, you can have both and. I can care for both. My heart's stirred for both. One's not more important than the other. Some of us might lean a little bit more towards one than the other. That's okay. But when we gather together like this, we, we together, we, the body of Christ has a comp compassion and a heart for both. Both spiritual and physical, matter, physical food matter to Christ. And it should matter to you and to me. We can be sometimes so spiritual and believe so much in the sovereignty of God that we, we stop trusting God for some of our physical everyday needs. <laughs> well, all we can do is worry about our everyday needs with Jesus and all we go to is Jesus come and, and, and meet our physical, our physical needs or our practical needs and forget that he's actually concerned about your heart and your spirit. Now in Jesus and he shows us compassion and the compassion he shows is to both. We can be both and as a church we can be both. I can go to Jesus for my spiritual needs when my soul is dark like we sang earlier on in the darkness of my soul. I've been, we've been in ministry for a few decades feeling old I'm not 50 yet getting there but like we, we, we kind of feel it and after being a Christian for I think 30 40 years of my life there are still days where my soul is dark and I need Christ to lighten and to come and rescue me there's still parts of honor that needs rescuing and there are days where physically we look at our, our needs and our means especially if you're charging off to the gospel I don't think we're ever going to reach our city with the gospel and say we've got everything we need. There will always be something that we're going to need. Every church must always live there. We need God. We need Jesus in the boat with us. So we pray for spiritual renewal in East London, but we also pray for the, the social or the justice stuff that God calls us to in East London. And Jesus is compassionate about both. We don't have to pick one. Hey, isn't that exciting? I don't have to pick a side. No, no, no. We can do both. We can be greedy. Yeah. And then Jesus is generous. In verse 8. And I love this about Jesus. Just his incredible generosity. Not just in his spirit, but in, the, in his personality. He's this Gregorius, you'll never not have enough. And verse 8 is short and sweet. And they ate and were satisfied. I love that sentence. When I read this passage, that grabbed me. They ate and they were satisfied. We come to Christ, we eat of him, and we are satisfied. When we come to the communion table as a church, we eat of Christ. Why? Because it's in him that we find our satisfaction. We eat and we ask. Jesus is the only, only God. He's the only person in the world that promises, come and eat and drink of me and you will never be hungry or thirsty again. Isn't that amazing? And he does this in abundance. We as South Africans are a lot more like Jesus than we think we are. I don't know what you like. If you're a young bachelor, just invite a bunch of people to a braai, a bring and braai. I promise you, you'll have food for the next two days. There will be leftovers in your fridge. We used to do that as young guys. We used to, our host, our host to bring it. Everybody wants to host to bring it dry. Why? Because there'll always be leftovers. There's always going to be extra. So Africans, we are a lot more like Jesus than we give ourselves credit for. My kids love it. My young boys, when they grew up, loved it when we had a bride. 
Because they knew no matter what we brought, there's going to be other stuff that's going to be left behind. You don't take your leftovers home. Only the single bachelors take the leftovers home. The rest we leave in the fridge. And Jesus here, it's incredible that in both these feedings, there's leftovers. What is Jesus saying? I am generous. I am not a stingy God. You don't have to pry my hands open to get what I've got for you. I'm going to leave extra for you. Isn't that amazing? I don't know if you, maybe you need to hear this morning that your God is generous towards you. He doesn't just give you just enough. He gives you more than enough. Do you know that in the, in the Jewish culture, when it comes to mealtime, the Jewish families, especially in the World War times, even if a, a father would gather, he would gather his family. Am I supposed to stay between lines? Like, or can I move a little bit? I was at a church a few Sundays ago, and they had lines painted like this. I don't know if you've watched Aussie Rules, where the guys go like this. And the sound guy, every now and then, would go like this. And I said, stay in my line. Stay in your lane, honor. Oh, <laughs> anyway, but we weren't going to this. Thank you, Sterling. <laughs> the Jewish father calls his family to a meal. And his family would gather, and they would have one slice of bread to share amongst four or five people. And what the father would do is he'd cut the little corner of the bread off and leave it, and they'd eat the whole slice together. And at the end, he'd leave the slice the little corner on the plate and say, look, God gave us more than we needed. Do you have that heart? God, you've given me more than I needed. We were singing this morning in some of the songs. I was going, God, forgive me for looking at what I don't have. Remind me of that you've given me more than I've needed. You are a generous God in Jesus. Remember in chapter 7, not so far ago, long ago, the Gentile woman at the table, Jesus is having a meal with the, with the, the, the rulers, and she says this about Jesus. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Even the Gentile woman at the table got the fact that God is generous. The religious guys can't see the generosity of Jesus. They belong to him. They're his. And they never seem to have enough. The Pharisees meet him on the other side, and what's the first thing? Give us a sign. They've just seen. They've just heard. You don't feed 9,000 people in two weeks with two loaves and a few fish and don't go, it, does, it doesn't spread. The news spreads. They knew what was going on. Jesus just wasn't enough for them. But he was compassionate and he's generous towards you and I. When Philippians says, I've learned to be content in God. This idea that God has given me more than I've needed. Right now, you and I have more than we need in Christ, but in his provision for us too. He is generous towards you. And if you're struggling with some of that or, or you're struggling to see God's generosity, I pray that this morning God's Spirit will help you understand and see through Scripture that there's always left to others, that He actually has provided you for, with more than you require. We prayed for our church this morning. I want to thank you for praying. But as we were praying for everyday people, I was going, God, you've given us more than we need in the sight of worship and what you've given us as a church. We are so grateful for that. Thirdly, um, can I just quickly, sorry, what time do I land here? I've got no idea. No, 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 I'm not going to keep going. That's dangerous. 15. Okay, easy. Okay, the third point is religion. I would actually say I should have changed it to religious people. <laughs> Exhausted Jesus, but I can't say that because Jesus is incredibly compassionate and he's generous even to the religious amongst us. Listen to this in verse 12. And he sighed, load shedding, deeply in his spirit and said, What does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into his boat again, and went to the other side. It's almost like 
If, the, if you want to see like a weakness in Jesus, if you, if, you, if you want to see the humanity in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus was just Superman dressed up in Clark Kent, kind of normal clothes, and actually was God walking as a human being, when you read passages like this, you go, he was like me. Like, I can identify with Jesus. <sighs> not that person again. Not the same argument again. Not the same discussion again. Not, not the same spiritual battle again. I'm going to walk away. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm tapping out here. I'm done. Time out. Not to your kids, to you. Like, I'm done. We can see Jesus' humanity in these verses. Jesus is traveling back to Jewish territory now, and he's, he's mixing with all kinds of so- sorts of people. And it's almost like the, the Pharisees, like I said earlier, was ambushing him. And in their days, amongst the Jews, the Pharisees were the good guys. They were the guys meant to show the compassion and generosity of God, of their God. They believed in God. They got God, but they didn't believe in His generosity and His compassion to their neighbors. Religion does that to us. We believe that God is compassionate and generous to us, but it does, that that's where it ends. We don't understand that God's generosity, generosity and compassion extends to others. I think there's a reason why Jesus did the miracle with the 5,000 Jewish territory and then went almost deliberately to a Gentile city, Greek city, full of Gentiles, and did the same miracle. What was Jesus trying to show the Pharisees? My generosity and compassion extends to everybody. It's not just to those who come to church on a Sunday. It's extending to our whole city, to our friends who aren't in church, who don't know Jesus, who are enemies of Christ. His generosity and His compassion extends to your friends, through you. And He's picked us to be the vehicles of His compassion and generosity to our friends that don't know Christ. But in actual, what happened here is in, in chapter 3, we, we read in Mark 3, that the Pharisees, have, they've already decided who Jesus is. They've already made up their mind who Jesus is and, and what He's like. And they've already made up their mind that they are going to kill this guy. He doesn't fit our religious box of generosity and, 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 and compassion. No, no, no. We'll tell, we like knowing, how, we'll tell you how to connect with God. They worked hard at seeking Him, etc. And they decided, they've already made up their mind who Jesus is allowed to extend grace to. They've already decided how Jesus is allowed to extend grace to. They've already made up their mind on Jesus. Have you made up your mind on Jesus already? Is there room in your heart, in your life, for Jesus to show compassion to people or to you in areas where you think, hey, I'm not sure I deserve it or my friends deserve it? Have you made up your mind as to how God can show generosity to you? He can show generosity? Or are you open this morning to that Jesus is God and He's gracious and more generous than I can get in my head and that He can show generosity and compassion to whoever He pleases, when He wants to, and how He wants to? Let's stay open-minded. Let's see Jesus. Let's, let's remind ourselves again of how compassionate, how generous this God is. And verse 13 scares me because of the religious heart that seems to want to grab all of, all of us. It says, and he left them. He walked away from the religious heart. He walked away from the religious Pharisees. Reminds me of the passage in, the, in Jesus, and, and he speaks about the prodigal son, where the prodigal son returns, and the, the older brother, the religious older brother, that fulfills all the duties, can't find grace to welcome his prodigal brother back in. And the passage ends without the older brother ever entering or taking part of that feast again. The feast is heaven. Scriptures like that scare on a bit. It's, it unsettles me a bit. But religious people and religion is not going to save us. It's not going to get us in the room with Jesus. It's His grace and His compassion that we need to open our hearts to. And then even Jesus' disciples, 
was slow to join the dots. I think it's Praveen Gordon, hey, that got the thing, oh, let's join the dots, Africa. But even his disciples were, that were with him were slow to join the dots. And Jesus, aware of, his, of this touch, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive and understand your hearts hardened? They were sh- we can, we're not shocked at the Pharisees' blindness towards Jesus, but we are shocked when the disciples can't see what Jesus, I don't know if you like that. I almost expect the Pharisees to be blind and, and a bit stubborn and they're not going to budge. They've already made up their mind. But I expect the disciples to, to get Jesus, to understand what he's doing. They live with him. They've seen what he's done. But the scriptures tell us they haven't. And the disciples believed that God could multiply bread and feed thousands because they saw it. But they did not believe that God would do it for them. Can you see the difference? We believe that God can do that, but we don't believe that God will do it for me. The disciples were, okay, can God feed 9,000 with a few loaves and a few fish? Yes. Can he, can he supply for you bread, for you personally, in the boat with him? What's happened here? Do you see how easily that happens? Hey, of course God can do things. Can he do it for me? I'm not so sure that he wants to or that he could do it for me. What has gone on? The slow-to-learn fishermen disciples see Jesus doing all this and still in their own hearts can't get that God would do this for them. Don't be so quick to judge the disciples. (laughs) Be careful, because you and I are a lot more like them than we think. We are a lot more like these guys than we'd like to give ourselves credit for. Remember my first question, where were you? What were you doing? Who were you with? Malcolm Gladwell says this about our memory. He says, only a fool takes his own memory as gospel truth. Only a fool thinks that his memory is good and is accurate and is pure. So at 9-11, what happened, they did a, one of the big universities in America, I don't know if you've known about the study, but they took a gap to, to study memory and human memory and significance. 3,000 people were asked these questions. A year later, the same 3,000 were asked the same question. Two years later, the same 3,000 asked the question again. Ten years later, the same 3,000 were phoned up again saying, hey, do you mind just answering these questions again? What do you think the, what do you, um, the retention rate percentage-wise was of what their first encounter was the day after 9-11 happened and ten years later? The average, the average person lost 40% of their accuracy in ten years. 40% of their story changed in ten years. What is it showing us? It shows us that as human beings, we give our memories a lot more credit than it's worth. That the things that we remember, where we were, what we were doing, if we went back, we'd be shocked at how almost inaccurate it is. We are good at forgetfulness. We are good at forgetting things. Sometimes it's a very good benefit to forget, especially if things have happened to you that's negative. It's good to put past and forgive. But we are just, as human beings, we forget. So don't blame the disciples here. I think they're, they're... the levels might be a little bit lower than 60%, but um, certainly scripture indicates that. Beware of the level of the Pharisees. What is Jesus warning them about? As we come to, to a bit of a landing, he warns them, and this is a serious warning. He's not just talking to them. He's warning them as his beloved disciples. He's warning them of religion. He's saying, hey, be careful of what the Pharisees inherit and the poison and the leaven that's going to infiltrate your heart. Where they've made up their mind of who Jesus is, what he can do, what he can't do, who he will reach and who he will be showing grace towards. 
and religious folk are self-sufficient. He was warning his disciples against their own self-sufficiency. This idea that um, I'm able to maintain myself and I can, I can sort myself out. Um, the statement, don't worry, I've got this. We've got this sorted. We'll make a plan. So Africans love making a plan. Eh? A boon mark a plan. Don't worry, we'll make a plan. We'll sort things out. Religion tends to get us to the place where we want to we wanna sort ourselves out. We want to we wanna make a plan. We're going to be self-sufficient. And he's warning his disciples away from them. They don't really need God to intervene. They've got this. They were looking at the one loaf in the boat and going, we're on our own. We're stuck. But they've got Jesus who's just fed 9,000 with them. And they're still self-sufficient. They're going, hey, we have to make our own plan here. No, you don't. Jesus is with you. Sometimes we have to lay down our plans. I can't make a plan. I often say to, to our church, some of the most beautiful prayers to Jesus is, I can't, I give up, I need help. Some of the most beautiful moments in your life is when you get to the place where you go, I can't anymore. God loves us crying out for help and asking Him. Spiritually, they were, they were leaning on their own ability to save themselves. The Pharisees thought they had this all. I can save myself. We're going to wash our hands. We're going to wash our hands before meals. We're going to pray before meals. We're going to do all these things. And if we do all these things, God is going to bless us and He's going to show us compassion and generosity. But it's all on their ability to fulfill all those rules and laws. Physically, work hard. Just do your bit and God will bless you. What happens if your physicality, your ability to do that is taken away? See, the religious self-sufficiency and legalism blinded the, the disciples. Jesus is saying, don't become self-sufficient. Always need me. Always be in need of me. No matter how long you've been a Christ follower, when we worship on a Sunday, always have your heart going, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't fulfill all the law. I'm sorry for breaking the law. I hope none of you have broken the law this morning. You're talking about his law. But always have a heart saying, God, I need you. Without you, I'm stuck. I'm done. I'm dead in the water. And then lastly, to encourage you with four minutes, the promise that Jesus will complete his work in you. How is it that these men living with Jesus, seeing his compassion, his provision and grace, still find themselves fretting over one meal? How does that happen? The blind man is healed in stages. Did you notice that? The first stage, and you kind of ask this, can't Jesus do it? Could he have done it in one just touch and done? The answer is yes, he could have because he's God. <laughs> of course he could have done that, but he chose not to. And if Jesus chose not to, why did he choose not to heal the blind man in just one touch? Why did he choose two touches? Why did he show that there was a second touch? And many, many kind of commentaries and guys have written about that. And they kind of land with the idea that Jesus, this initial touch opened his eyes and it was blurry. And the second touch, and he clearly saw speaks about our own spiritual salvation. How when you become a Christian and you, you initially, God opens your eyes, you just have so many questions. You don't understand church. You don't understand the Bible. You don't understand God. You don't understand His compassion and grace. You have so many questions. And then there's a second touch where Jesus completes the work that He's begun in you. It sounds a bit like Philippians, doesn't it? That He who has begun a work in you, who began the work? Jesus. Christ started the work in you and I. If you're sitting and you're frustrated in your own spiritual journey and you walk up, I'm going to say to you, you didn't begin. You didn't, you didn't pick Jesus. He chose you. There was an old song that we used to sing as young people. Um, I found Jesus um, by Delirious, I think was the band or whatever. When we grew up, I'm just aging myself here. Delirious, I found Jesus. A few years later, okay, whoa, 
Our theology is all skewed. We didn't find him. He found us. I didn't see him. He saw me and he opened my eyes. See, the gospel is about Christ opening our eyes. And if he's opened our eyes and we're glimpsing into like a bright light and we're going, this is going to take some time to adjust, Jesus is faithful to completely open our eyes to see him. And what's happening with you and I today after our day of salvation, so you, if we're in the room today, you, you either you're going, I, I can't see the gospel honor. I just don't see it. I don't see what you see. The prayer for you is that God would touch you once and he would open your eyes to see Christ in his beautiful, glorious, generous gospel. If you are a Christ follower and your eyes have been opened, my prayer is that Jesus will continue touching and opening your eyes to seeing more and more of him so that you would grow in your beauty and he would grow in your beauty and your view of, of him. There's a reason Jesus broke bread twice. There's a reason Jesus in the boat spoke about bread and bread was at the center of it. There's a reason Jesus touched the man twice. He's saying to us, hey, I'm not going to leave you half blind. I'm not going to leave you half saved. I'm going to finish the work I've begun in you. If you're battling spiritually this morning and there's stuff in your life, I'm going to say to you, Christ started that process and work in you and Christ is faithful to finish it. Like he healed this blind man, he will touch you and continue to heal you and open your eyes for him. And then Jesus, when he's with his disciples, breaks bread. And what does he say to his disciples when he breaks bread? Do this in remembrance. Sterling Baptist Church, remember Jesus. Do well to remember him. Remember his compassion for you. I pray that this morning you are reminded of how compassionate he is towards you. Your physical and your spiritual needs. Both and. I pray that you would be reminded this morning that he is generous. He doesn't just give you just enough. He gives you more than enough. And thank, maybe drive out of here this morning going, Jesus, thank you for the more than enough in my life. And remember that he will complete the work he's begun in you. Can I pray for us? What do you want to pray? Okay, Mark's ready to pray. He's going to pray. Thanks, Honor. The worship team is going to come up um, and lead us in a response time, but I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes as they come up. And um, yeah, God has spoken to us this morning, and I just want to create a little bit of space for you to be quiet in His presence. And as you do that, ask Him to reveal what it is from the sermon that's for you. Maybe you, you need to remember the compassion he's shown to you already. Maybe you need to remember the generosity he's given to you in your life. And it is true. We have more than enough. Often we look at what we don't have. Maybe he's going to touch your heart as we pray now and the response for you is to be grateful and to recognize what he's done for you already. But probably the part that really spoke to me, and I think there's someone here like this, is maybe today's the first time 
you've started to see clearly. Maybe you've been in church before, maybe you've heard this stuff all before, but it's possible that today, as Anna's been preaching, that God has touched your eyes, metaphorically, and you're starting to understand something. And, and the response to that is to surrender to, to God and to give your life to Him. It's okay if you don't understand everything. But if you can see that He's real, and you can see that you need Him, then you come to Him. Father, as we sit in your presence and we ponder the things you've spoken to us this morning, we are grateful for your word, which is living and active. And I just know your spirit's been here today and you have spoken to us. We're grateful for that, Lord. Thank you for being compassionate with us, kind. Lord, you have been so generous to us. Forgive us for how we so regularly think about what we don't have. May we leave today grateful, Lord, for your presence in our lives and your provision. Show us where you've already given us more than we need. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that in the room now, if there's someone that doesn't, hasn't yet surrendered their life to you, that you'd give them the courage, if they can see you and that they need you, to do that even a prayer right now just to say to you quietly in their heart Lord I need you I want to live my life with you. even though I don't see clearly yet I know you're going to help me and you're going to continue the work that you're starting and you're going to finish that and I will see more clearly in the future thank you Lord for the testimony of tens perhaps a hundred people in the room who can see you because of your salvation, your work that you've done in our lives, there wasn't anything we did to earn it, Lord. There was a moment, a day, where you touched our eyes and we could see. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to live our lives wholeheartedly for you. Even now in this worship time, this response time, would you come and speak to us through these songs as we sing. Lord, we choose to worship you with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand to your feet. We've got two more songs to close us out. Let's worship him.
Lord, we thank you for a wonderful What a joy it is to gather together to worship you, to hear from you, Lord. And I'm praying, Lord, that as we leave this place now, that we would be aware of your presence continually, continuously with us, that we would rejoice in you always. And Lord, that we would live lives that shine out your glory and challenge those around us who don't know you yet, Lord. You are a saving God, and you work powerfully through your people, and you can use us in the city to bring you glory. You are worthy of it all. It's the end of the service, everyone. Uh, we always serve coffee under the tent, so you're welcome to stay and enjoy some fellowship time out there, and we look forward to seeing you next week Sunday.